ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. They do a nice job here and a pretty good lunch. I'm in the Rocks near Sydney CBD in what for Australia is a very old pub indeed. Hello, this is The Money, Richard Aidy with you, and someone has to do this. Today, we're looking at Australia's beer market. The beer market is roughly divided 85% to the two biggest breweries, which is Asahi and Lion. Matthew Kierkegaard is editor of Australian Brews News. Then you've got Coopers, which is around about 6%, and then the rest of the beer market is divided amongst the supermarkets that are an increasing player, and then at the very, very tail end are the small independent craft breweries that we've seen spring up over the last 15, 20 years. So it's dominated by two giants, but it wasn't always. Look, it's been a process of consolidation that's been going since the 80s. If you go back to the 80s, pretty much every state had its strong uh, one or two brewing businesses. And then we saw the Elliots and the Bonds come in in the 80s and start to put these networks together and consolidate the breweries. And that has just kept going to the point that we now have two breweries that own almost everything that you see on taps in pubs. What does this end up meaning for the consumer? Rod Sims is at the Crawford School in the ANU. He used to run the ACCC, the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission. It means limited choice, and usually it would mean higher prices. Now, the price comparisons are tricky because we don't know how much, when you're comparing things internationally, I mean, I've seen examples that show that our beer prices are considerably higher than overseas markets. What I don't know is how much that's due to tax and how much that's due to other things. But also, it's also clear on data that's perhaps a little out of date now from my point of view, that the beer companies earn very high margins. So they're very profitable businesses. And uh, all else equal, that probably means consumers are paying a bit too much for their beer. Yeah, I think it was I think it was Line uh, last year saying that it was a very profitable market for them, actually. Yes, I, I think I've heard that as well. And, and these players, of course, are all around the world. Asahi particularly is owned by a, the biggest brewer in the world based in Belgium, I think. Uh, and yes, they do regard the Australian market as a very profitable one. So I think that tells you something. Actually, Asahi isn't owned by Abe Imbev. It's the seventh largest beer company in the world in its own right. Asahi owns Carlton and United Breweries and all of its brands. The other player is Kirin, the 13th largest beer company in the world, which owns Lion Nathan and all of its brands. Together, as Matthew mentioned, they have about 85% of the market. And part of how they keep it that way is by using something called tap contracts. The major brewers go to a publican and they say, if you pour our beers, we will give you a fairly significant rebate and they'll pay a dollar, two dollars, anything up to four dollars for the big hotel groups per litre of beer that's sold through the taps. So they'll rebate that. And in return, they want 85, 90% of the taps in that venue. Those TAP contracts are often multi-year contracts that involve a certain literage to be poured to see them discharged. And so that means if consumers start wanting something in year one, and you've often got to wait two, three, four, five years before the publicans can respond to that unless the big brewers respond to that themselves. And with craft beer, we saw that they just weren't willing to do that. Craft beer came along in the very early 2000s, starting with a brewery called Little Creatures, 
but it struggled to get into the pubs. The big brewers did try to respond to craft beer, but one of the other things that consumers wanted, they wanted small local brands, and the big brewers couldn't do that. And then they also couldn't really respond to what consumers were actually wanting. So we had to wait for tap contracts to gradually expire. And publicans saw the opportunity because they heard people in their front bars saying, I want X beer or I want a craft beer. And they started, as their contracts came up for renegotiation, negotiating, you know, 60, 70% tap contracts that allowed the small craft brewers to start to take tap points, which was great for consumers. It was when we really saw the flowering of diversity and choice on on tap. But of course, the big brewers then responded by, well, we haven't been able to shut these small breweries down, so we'll acquire the biggest ones of them and go back. And once that occurred, publicans have said, well, we'll go back to 70 or 80, 90% tap contracts using the big brewery-owned craft beers to provide choice. But of course, then you go back to the situation where you also aren't getting the very responsive market conditions that led to the rise of craft beer in the first place. Matthew, those tap contracts, I want you to unpack them a bit. Okay. To give you an idea, four years ago when Stone & Wood was still independent, you could get a price list from Stone & Wood where a 50-litre keg of Pacific Ale would be around about $285 plus GST. After the takeover from Lion, I recently saw a keg of stone and wood offered to a publican is well over $400 plus GST. So you'd think that the price should have gone down with the efficiencies that Lion can bring, but the price has actually gone up. So if you're a small little hotel that wants to get that beer in, you're going to pay $400 unless you sign a tap contract with them and take all of their other products as well in which case you'll get $200 a keg rebated to you. So the price is probably still the same, but you'll be paying more up front unless you have a contract. And that puts a lot of pressure on any pub to then put a contract on so they can have the beer that consumers want to drink at the same price as the contracted pub down the road. But the thing is, it locks you into a suite, doesn't it? It's not it, It's not it, just that particular beer that you really wanted. It's everything else. Absolutely. You have to give over the rest of your taps to predominantly Lion products, and that it can often include, you know, RTDs, ready-to-drink products, and, and other products that Lion sells. And even whilst the contract may nominally have a two- or three-year length, there is a volume associated with it as well. And and we've seen some of these contracts uh, revealed through court cases and often they'll give you an upfront payment, which is very attractive, but then you have to sell a certain amount of volume. And if you're a smaller pub, that can actually take much longer than the contracted period. TAP contracts would appear to reduce competition. But in 2017, the ACCC concluded that they would not be considered anti-competitive. Rod Sims. I mean, these are all real competition issues. When we've looked at it, when I was at the ACCC, the laws, and particularly the way they're interpreted by the courts, I can't emphasise that too much. The courts interpret our laws. The laws say don't do things that substantially lessen competition. You'd think some of those rebates would do that. But when you look at it closely and look at how the courts interpret these things, it's very hard to take these cases. And there's something else too. The other issue is the merger laws. The two main players, CUB and Lion, do make incremental 
acquisitions, which increased their position. The big issue was when Asahi bought CUB quite a few years back now. Asahi at the time, representing the biggest brewer in the world, had about 2 to 3% of the market and said it was going to grow its share. Now, that looked great for competition because you had two incumbents and the biggest brewer in the world saying they want to grow their share. So we were all quite excited about the extra competition. Then lo and behold, Asahi bought CUB. That reduced that prospect of new competition. They divested some brands and made it very hard for the ACCC to block the merger. But it was a very finely balanced thing and I think is a reflection of how difficult it is for the ACCC to use the current merger laws to maintain competition. And so I think this feeds into the argument as to why we need stronger merger laws in Australia, because that that acquisition took away the prospect of significant competition in the beer market. The part of the beer industry that's most affected by the market dominance of the big two is the part that got people talking about beer again, the craft breweries. Kylie Lethbridge is the chief executive of the Independent Brewers Association. Our economic impact, um, the last uh, study we did, Richard, was 2021, and it estimated that we contribute approximately $1.93 billion to the economy nationally. We uh, are only just 7% of market share in terms of beer in this country, but we employ over 50% of the industry. Obviously, uh, anything crafted is a little more labour intensive, so uh, requires additional hands-on. The other benefits we bring are to the agricultural industry, which we support via our imports, obviously hospitality, logistics and manufacturing. And vast majority, two, approximately two-thirds of our members are in regional and rural areas of Australia. So providing those really important local skilled jobs and employment opportunities in areas where they're not usually particularly prevalent. The problems really got going for the sector during the pandemic. Any industry that you speak to faced its own significant challenges during the pandemic and those three years were particularly particularly tough given we were an emerging and I guess growing industry. So if you look at our, our growth path from around sort of 24 15, 2016, obviously a whole lot more craft beer, independent breweries coming online. So it was new and emerging, which, which makes it uh, you know, risky and challenging in some instances when you then are faced with the conditions that we had during the pandemic. One of the things that our brewers were able to do during that time was to put their tax payments on hold. We operate under the excise system in Australia. And so many took that opportunity to be able to survive. Many fell on any cash reserves they had. Obviously, we benefited from JobKeeper and other uh, incentives that were given through that period. Any time of, I guess, challenge, then, you know, you need to look at some period of recovery. The problem with that for 2023 was we faced a, a bunch of new challenges and new hurdles, I guess, so to speak. We were faced with an increase in goods and materials, sometimes up to 30 40%. We um, require energy to produce beers. So in some instances, we've seen gas CO2 go up by more than 50%. Freight is still killing us. And that combined with the inflation and other issues that Australians are facing in terms of cost of living meant that it was a perfect storm of challenges that we had to face. 
And those that were carrying that tax debt have found that very difficult. And as a result, we have seen breweries go into voluntary administration as recently as just last week and many downsizing or just simply quietly closing their doors. The other factor in all of this is the difficulty of competing with two giants. The two uh, multinational breweries have done a very good job of distribution of their products throughout the country and uh, it's a multifaceted approach. So we see them sponsoring major events, we see them contracting even down to small community town halls. So it certainly does make it very difficult for us to compete Although price point wise, we, we, you know, a craft beer provides a good source of revenue to a venue, um, but those incentives that are attached to some of those deals are just too hard for us to match and or beat. And so they're fairly ruthless in, in what can and can't be on a tap in the same venue. This is The Money. My name's Richard Aidy, and in this episode, we're looking at the beer market. It's not just pubs and other licensed premises. There's also packaged beer, the beer you buy from a bottle. This retail sector is dominated by Coles and Endeavour. Coles has Liquorland, First Choice Liquor Market and Vintage Cellars. Endeavour has BWS and Dan Murphy's. At the start of craft beer, a lot of these breweries set up, the major retailers saw it as an emerging trend. And so they were a major customer to a lot of the small craft breweries. And it was a very good arrangement because the retailers had national distribution uh, changes. They had outlets that provided a means to a much wider market for the small breweries. For the retailers, you also had these small innovative breweries who were very rapidly responding to changing consumer demands and able to feed that. As the market matured, though, the big retailers have some of the best data, the best consumer data that often they don't share with anybody and they could see what consumers wanted. And then they could also saw that they could increase their margins by producing beers themselves. And they would just look at what was selling well, they would see an opportunity, um, they would develop a brand that mirrored the small independent breweries and essentially fax off an order to a contract brewer saying, I want X number of cartons of this and with their buying power can negotiate a much better price than a small uh, brewer would. So having been the research and development arm for the major retailers, the retailers then entered without any of those costs having to be recovered Mm. and started selling them. Right. So we have Matt and his dog, (laughs) to use you as an example. Yeah. And all it is is some nice graphics on some cardboard or the can, but really there's been no innovation cost. Very little, no innovation cost. There's been a graphic designer, but often they're just using somebody else's template. And even if you read the back of it, there'll be some superficially compelling story. Uh, You know, Lorry Boys is one of the, I think, the Coles brands, and it tells a story about a couple of blokes that got together, you know, selling beer out of the back of a lorry, and they called themselves Lorry Boys. There was never a lorry. There were never three blokes. There was just a story that someone in an office wrote to give the brand a patina of provenance Mm. that just never existed. And to the average consumer, unless they're willing to sit there when they just want to have a cold beer and spend 15 minutes researching intellectual property, you know, review sites and things, they would never know um, because the, the major retailers know that we don't want to go in and buy a black and gold beer because of the way we make our purchasing decisions. 
we call it craft washing. So it's in the same craft beer fridge and its design is is pushing the boundaries and it's quite cool and groovy and you would not know that if you pick up that can that it's actually made for one of the large multinationals or one of the large supermarket chains and quite often brewed by a small brewer as well. So really tough when you, you know, you look at that can and it doesn't necessarily say who owns that company. And of course, they've got the resources and the power to ensure that distribution of that faux craft as well. So we're sponsoring sporting stadiums and we're sponsoring Australian cricket teams and us as a collective of 600 plus independent brewers across the country just don't have the power to compete with that. What the independent brewers are after is more transparency. The highest level labelling is something that we are certainly advocating for and will continue to advocate for in the coming months as we see these inquiries progress and as we see the results of the Senate inquiry that was held last year. Um, It'll be the thing that we certainly continue to talk to the ACCC about. And our belief, you know, one of the reasons that the Independent Brewers Association created a device called the Independent Seal, which is, you know, a similar device to the Australian made, uh, you know, it it has a, a recognition associated with it. And we have done as much work as we can in the last couple of years to try and have our consumers understand that if they purchase looking for that device, what it actually means for these Australian small producers. But to carry that seal, you need to be a member of the organisation and, you know, apply to our code of conduct and and espouse a certain set of values. And having truth in labelling means that if Australians are wanting to support those local craft breweries, which we know they are, um, we did a great piece of research with KPMG a couple of years back that meant that we know that Australians, if they can and if it's affordable and if it's available to them, would prefer to support an Australian business. And so picking up a can or a bottle or a pack of beer and being able to look for where that beer was brewed or who that beer was brewed for, uh, we feel and many consumers feel is very important. That's not happening now because the regulatory space is is probably a little loose and we feel that that could be improved. The other thing that the smaller brewers argue could be improved is the excise system. Alcohol is taxed per litre. So if you've got a 5% beer, which is was the standard mid-strength, in a carton of 24, 375ml bottles, you can just do the maths and work out how much of a litre of beer is in that. And then that percentage of a litre of pure alcohol then has a tax attributed to it. And it's, it's a significant amount. But then in Australia, tap beer is taxed differently to packaged beer. Mid-strength is taxed differently to full-strength beer. So it's very hard to give precise figures. But the way that it's structured is twice a year, it just automatically goes up. And so the cost of alcohol across all of its forms is just constantly in February and August ratcheted up. And because we've seen that over a significant period of time, it's been 20 plus years that we've seen it, the price of alcohol has just gone up monumentally to the point it well exceeds the cost of inflation when you factor in all of the other elements that go into production of beer. I just want to get a, a kind of a handle on it. If I buy a, a case of beer, how much of that is going in tax? 
Oh, it's a very complicated question, Richard, that the system is quite complex in the way the tax is applied because it's applied based on the strength of a beer and the container and the vessel in which it comes out the tank and is put into. So in some instances, it's taxed multiple times as well, out of the tank, into a keg, out of a keg, into a can. So it's it's quite complex. There's a great, uh, which obviously we're on the radio and you can't show your listeners, but there's a great infographic which explains the percentage of what goes into a beer when it comes to freight taxes from the regulatory perspective just generally, uh, and it's a significant amount. The average per standard drink, if we can unpack it that way, is around $3 in a standard drink goes to tax. Right. Okay. So that's what, 30%, 40%-ish? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Absolutely. And obviously the higher strength that that will increase. The independent brewers want the government to freeze indexation of the excise for two years and more relief when it comes to paying excise debts. It doesn't like the tap contracts and it wants transparency in labelling for the retail market. And there's something else as well. Given the support we lend to the agricultural industry in Australia, given our opportunities to grow that supply chain to support a more circular economy in this country, uh, as well as providing those great hospitality and skilled jobs in those regional areas I talked about, it's something worth backing. And at the minute, we can't control a lot of what's happening with the price of inputs, but we feel at this point in time that the federal government are the ones that could lend us a hand. Um, we're not asking for a free ride by any means, just, I guess, some greater recognition of the importance of our sector, a signal that they care about Australian small businesses and small producers, and that we have some recognition. What would that signal look like? We um, have for some time uh, envied, I guess, the support and the recognition that the wine industry in this country enjoys. We have the benefit of Wine Australia and, and what that delivers for our economy. And so at this point in time, beer doesn't really rate a mention in national strategy or policy as a key economic driver. And we have a vision of creating, and we're doing some research at the minute to try and illustrate the benefits of creating Beer Australia. At the minute, that would be a, a long-term objective of ours, uh, but there are some short-term methods by which the government can support us to get through this really tough time by, you know, having a look at that taxation system. We are certainly operating in one of the oldest taxation frameworks when it comes to excise in the world. We're the third highest taxed beer manufacturing industry in the world. And given that we are part of the culture, we'd just like some support to grow and to keep, you know, reinventing little towns and old derelict buildings and and providing those local meeting places, which at this time are more important than ever. The Albanese government's making the right noises about encouraging more competition. There's an assistant minister for it, Andrew Lee. There's a treasury task force. And the House of Reps Standing Committee on Economics is right now finalising its report on promoting economic dynamism, competition and business formation. So we'll see. Matthew Kirkegaard. You do wonder how we'll ever get competition when the ACCC has found time and time again that no matter how big a small craft brewery grows, and Stone and Wood had grown to the stage that it was 1% of the beer market, that the ACCC says, well, there'll be no loss of competition if this business is bought by the big brewers because they're so small. 
But the question is, how is there ever going to be a third competitor or a fourth competitor, if you take Coopers in, grow to the scale that they provide some competition when the ACCC allows them to be sold, citing no loss of competition? So it's how it's framed from the beginning. We have this market dominated really by two enormous companies and, and one that's quite a lot smaller, and that is the current landscape. So it's whether we lose any competition in that current landscape that's kind of the test. But we'll never get to a position yeah. because consolidation of the approximately equal-sized uh, brewers has been allowed to happen. We'll never get to the stage that a major competitor will, will spring up because if they're not shut down by competition from the major brewers, they're acquired by the major brewers yeah. and they're never allowed to you know, flourish and grow um, to, to the scale that they provide major competition. For Rod Sims, who used to be there, of course, the key lies in better enabling the ACCC. The ACCC has proposals out publicly. Uh, they're being considered by the government at the moment to change the laws. I think the ACCC proposals make a lot of sense and they would help the ACCC maintain competition in Australia. So I think they would have a profound effect on what consumers pay for goods. I think they'd have a profound effect on improving Australia's productivity if we can have stronger merger laws and that could help us maintain more competition in the Australian market. Rod, is there a case for taking what in the US would be an antitrust approach and saying, you guys are too big, you need to be smaller, less dominant? Well, that's a big debate. But in the US, before they can require divestment, you have to prove there's been a breach of the competition laws. So it's a remedy for a breach rather than something the government can unilaterally oppose. Now, in the UK, they do have stronger powers to bring about divestment. I know my former chair of the ACCC, Alan Fells, has been pressing for divestiture laws for some time. But I think his model is also based on the fact that it's a remedy for breaching the law rather than something you can unilaterally impose. But there's a lot of people talking about divestment in markets at the moment. It's a debate that's just taking off and it will be interesting. I notice there's a lot of parliamentary inquiries going on and no doubt the issue will be debated there. Actually, I was going to get to that. So the House of Reps Standing Committee on Economics is looking at competition at the moment. Beer is obviously part of that. What would you like to see happen? I think it would be a good idea if they had a look at the beer market and wrestled with the complexities of that market. Yes, it's heavily concentrated. Yes, there's many mechanisms the beer companies use to prevent competition, but it's also very difficult for the ACCC to act. And I think it would be good if that committee had a good transparent look at that. I think to air that publicly would be extremely helpful. These are complex issues and the more they're aired and discussed, the better. Matthew, this House of Reps inquiry, report being finalised now, what do you think will come out of it? <sighs> Without sounding too cynical, there'll be a report that uh, has a lot of ideas that are going to be very, very hard to implement. You know, if you speak to the small craft brewers, they would like to see tap contracts outlawed and businesses compete on merits. And that would allow for a much more dynamic marketplace that would see the actual cost of a keg of beer to publicans come down and them not tied 
to prevent small independent brewers from accessing taps if they have a competitively priced consumer appealing product. Hopefully, uh, we, we will see some recommendations around that. And, uh, you know, even when it comes to retailers, hopefully we'll see, you know, tightening of labelling restrictions. So perhaps the ultimate owner of the home brand beer has to be seen. So the consumer can just turn a can around and decide whether when they go to a barbecue and buy their mates a beer, they are happy giving a home brand beer to their mates. So transparency and uh, you know, market access would be, would be great outcomes for small brewers. But you're not enormously optimistic about it. I'm not enormously optimistic because the, the size and the scale of and the the, the, the lobbying that the major uh, hotel chains who who benefit from it they are one of the strongest lobbies nationally um, and and the, the major brewers and the major retailers do have significant uh, lobbying power so it will just be interesting to see whether the you know parliament actually finds that there is a lack of competition and whether they're willing to act on it. Matthew Kierkegaard's editor of Australian Brews News. You also heard from Rod Sims of the Crawford School at the ANU and Kylie Lethbridge of the Independent Brewers Association. The money comes to you from Gadigal Land, Sydney. I'm Richard Aidey. Thanks to sound engineer Roy Huberman and extra thanks to producer Kate McDonald. This is Kate's last day on the show, last day at the ABC. She's been great everywhere she's worked and we're all going to miss her. So thank you, Kate, for everything. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.